Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we begin with a shocking loss for U.S. basketball just this morning, getting knocked out of the World Cup by France. Yeah, Evan and I were debating how shocking this is. If you saw the team, a lot of the headline stars in the NBA dropped out, didn't participate, so... What level NBA player would you say makes up the U.S. roster here? C level? I mean, B, yeah, B minus level. You're you're probably looking. I mean, this is Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, the best player, got hurt. hurt um, yeah. You know, Kemba Walker is on this team, so probably your twenty to thirty range best okay. players in the NBA. All maybe right, that's I mean, it's not dream team for for sure. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, it's 89, 79. They had a lead late, in the, go fourth, bear, baby. late in the fourth quarter, and then you know things kind of fell apart. I consider this a shocking. You know, the the line was eight and a half points. I think they were a one to four favorite, even even wider than that. Um, this is a team that hasn't lost in, it hasn't not won a gold medal in more than a decade in big international competition. If you've been following, though, I mean, they've been one shot away with the prime players. You've got Rudy Gobert in the old days. You had Tony Parker. Uh, it it just it doesn't surprise me that a team of the not-best American players cannot just roll the ball out and win anymore. Yeah, and that is that is definitely true. And and I think you're seeing two things happening kind of simultaneously, right? The, the cachet of playing on Team USA doesn't seem to be as alluring for the biggest stars in the NBA anymore. The not outside Amer- the, the Olympics. Stars. At least not outside of the Olympics. Around the world, by the way, they take the World Championship more seriously than the Olympics. Yeah, and then that's the second point, that... that other countries take this more seriously, and other countries are just getting better at basketball. And and those two lines are kind of starting to meet in the middle in some ways, which was the plan kind of all along, right? As, as we have discussed, if you go back to pre-92, when the Dream Team came in, Russ Granick, his plan, and David Stern, the plan was to insert the best players from the NBA in order to show the rest of the world how to play, in order for them to want to play, in order for a young Yao Ming to say, I want to play basketball. And little, yes, I mean, back in 92, you had games like Angola. You're going to get, you had years of blowouts, but little by little, you saw the rest of the world start to catch up. You see the number of international players in the NBA starting to creep up. This is the end result. And from a dollars and cents point of view, by doing that, you have created fans around the world, which is now how how you scale all those video clips and why House of Highlights is popular. You can send it all over the world. Hmm. Yeah, but that and back then, remember the 92 Dream Team, the other teams that were getting blown out, they were asking the players on the U.S. Dream Team for autographs. I mean, that's how the game has evolved now to today. Who's the one player on the Dream Team most people forget? If I asked you to name the team, you you could probably go through and name them all, but who's the one player most forget? Oh, that's a good question. Answer. Christian Lehner. That's right. There you go. That's right. You're right. I did forget about him. <laughs> Moving back to, to to FIBA for a second, another kind of part of this thread, three on three basketball is making its Olympic debut next year in Tokyo. That was also essentially a pitch to make a, a basketball competition in the Olympics that the United States was not guaranteed not, to not win, win. <laughs> the moment the thing started. Um, and, and the U.S. team in, in that three on three is also fairly good, but it is not NBA players. I would say that ninety nine percent of our listeners could not name a single one of the players or wouldn't know them if they even saw the names. Uh, so, you know, there, there is a big push, as you said, Scott, to, to make 
competitive basketball, international basketball, uh, no longer just a uh, an assumption that the U.S. team is going to win. The NFL could only wish that it had a roster of international stars akin to the NBA. Because as we've seen, is there a saturation point of popularity within the U.S. border? Maybe. But they are looking towards Europe. The NFL games in London. They're trying to export American football around the world and replicate what the NBA has, particularly in the world's most populous it, nations. Is there a chance that this is just all one big pendulum swimming, swinging back and forth? That 92 Dream Team comes together, blows out the world. You know, 10 years later, you know, the, the, the team struggles a little bit. 2006 doesn't even win the, the bronze medal at the, at, the, at the World Championships. You know, suddenly the team gets no, really good again, starts blowing no. people out. Are we just not back no, in the same you're, thing you're gonna, No, you're going to have, routinely, you're going to have World Championships and Olympic competitions where you don't know which one of seven or eight teams is going to win. Yeah, Argentina, because, Spain, yeah. Canada, France, the U.S., they're all going to, Germany, they're all going to be in the there. The globe is caught up, like you said. Absolutely. And playing, playing this. So. Well, well, yeah, but the other, the reverse side of that argument is if U.S. basketball is struggling and the players like LeBron James and Kevin Durant decide, oh, we can be the ones that bring this back again, similar to what happened about a decade ago, no, I think I, that team still blows out all the other teams in the world. But right? I, but it's getting closer and closer where even an A-list, and we've seen A-list teams go in the Olympics and come down to final shot, ball in the air. Yeah. So, no, I, you could you could have had well, those Argentina game, uh, teams, those Spanish teams. you got to remember, they've been playing together forever. And they play a style of ball. It's a little different international rules that the, the Americans are not used to. Mm-hmm. And then they, they go head-to-head, and they're not afraid anymore. Not at all. You could, you, if you can put Luis Scola and, and Ginobili on a court, they're just not afraid anymore. Pau Gasol, Marc Gasol, Rubio, I mean, they're, they're just not afraid. So if you're a FIBA executive right now, uh, <coughs> there's, there's a silver lining here in that, you know, parity is great for your products moving forward long term. Yes. You've also lost, you know, the, the team in the tournament that is obviously the biggest draw internationally, not just here in the U.S. Are you are you happy with this result? Are yes, you... because they're so passionate about the basketball, they're going to watch anyway. Okay. Yeah, this isn't a case of way back when where let me just see Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson play. Up next, we turn to the NBA, where plans to create an investment vehicle to buy minority shares of teams is garnering some broad support among owners. Yeah, we, we broke the story not long ago about the NBA's plan to look into creating a, some sort of investment vehicle to buy these limited partners because the valuations have just gotten so high and it's hard for LPs to get out of these positions. Um, so I asked the NBA, hey, what's the feedback been? They asked the owners to send in the feedback by this week, and the league was like, well, we'll just let it be. We'll keep it in-house and we'll see. So I rang up uh, about a third of the league's owners, and near as I can tell from, from the conversations I had, there's widespread support for the plan. Details are still scarce. They need to be worked out. Uh, some big market team said, we'll back the plan, but we're not going to participate, mainly because we don't have to. These big market teams and these owners asked to remain anonymous because they weren't supposed to be talking about it. But they have a runway of people who are looking to invest in limited stakes. So they don't really have to. But depending on price. I heard that a lot from at least four owners. Depending on price, 
maybe we can be in as part of this investment fund. Can we actually just explain just exactly what this thing is for? I think for some people who, who maybe don't understand the way sports teams are invested in, uh, may not exactly understand what the NBA is proposing here. Sure, but, but give us a sense of what this looks like. Actually, okay, let's say you you and I own a team together. Yeah, let's say we own eighty percent. I own forty percent. You own forty percent. That other twenty percent is made up of limited partners. Mm-hmm. It can be as big as somebody with ninety or twenty percent or Oftentimes, somebody, it's, it's all splintered up 1%, 1%, 2%, 2%. And there's tons of reasons why those folks buy those little, those little pieces. So, some are ego. Some is the ability to train for a majority stake uh, in, in the future. Some, it's the ability to travel on the team plane for their core business. They'll be able to close a deal. It, it can be anything. But those folks now, when they're looking to sell that 1%, 2%, the valuations on these franchises are so high that you could be asking 50, 60 million dollars for in essence a piece of a team that has no say, no governance, no anything. You might not even have tickets. No joke. Hmm. So hmm. why would anybody pay for that now? It was easier when the franchise when they weren't worth as much, they're willing to pay 500,000. That's a different story. So the league is proposing some sort of vehicle where maybe they can help those people get out and people then can buy in and have a stake of the entire league. It wouldn't just be one team. It would be across the league in these limited Almost positions. Almost like the Dow Jones. You yeah, would, yeah. it'd it almost be yeah. like an index fund. Right. It'd yeah. be the NBA index fund. Exactly. So you may have a 5% stake in the Bucks and a 5% stake in the in yes. the, in the Lakers, or not the, probably not the Lakers, but let's say the Jazz and maybe in the Thunder, all kind of owned by the same group that obviously profits the better that the entire league does as a whole. Right. And I wouldn't necessarily say not the Lakers. While they probably do have people lining up, uh, like Patrick Sung Chang, to take, take pieces, maybe he wants to get rid of 1%. Mm-hmm. And if the number is better in this vehicle than it would be trying to unload it on the open market, because again, you don't get much for it, maybe that's where it goes. And is there any, are there concerns from the people you talk to, are there concerns about conflict of interest? If, you know, this conglomerate owns pieces of some teams, but not others, and one's playing in the finals against one yeah. they don't own, is there... I, I didn't run into too much of that but I think that would fall under the we need to know more. There was that nothing's been worked out yet. And the NBA, in its memo to the owners earlier, was pretty clear that none of this is is finalized and all of this needs to be flushed out and discussed. So please bring us your ideas. And the NBA owners are meeting in a couple of weeks here in New York uh, or in a week or so in New York. And that's when they'll have those talks. And surely this won't be the end of it. And uh, finally, some news uh, from The Washington Post concerning the brand-new wideout uh, receiver for the New England Patriots, Antonio Brown. Uh, in case uh, people have not been keeping up about it, there have been now rape accusations against Brown from his former trainer. Uh, yeah. And so now there's a question if he can be suspended. Well, the vehicle by which the NBA has created to deal with these situations is something called the commissioner's exemplist where he goes on this exemplist, he gets paid, but he's not allowed to play or practice with the team. This happened with uh, Ray Rice. Ray Rice, this happened uh, with born, born out of that. Yes, yeah. yes. So it's their way of uh, giving the player the money, but nothing has been proven yet. But still, the allegations are so bad that the NFL does not want these players participating in practice or games. Uh, according to the Post, it, it's possible they could put him on this list. It's possible that he could still be allowed to play while they're while they investigate. So uh, a lot of possibilities uh, still with Antonio Brown. But here's one thing that is not 
probable or possible that the New England Patriots wanted to deal with this headache along with what had already occurred with Brown getting out of L.A., it seemed like this was going to be a perfect fit for the Patriots, bring in a great player. You want to play there. Of course, Belichick can make it work. This is now a whole different ballgame where Belichick is going to have to be asked about it, and it's it's not good for the Patriots. A few, a few quick notes here. We, we should mention one. Antonio Brown has vehemently denied the allegations right. um, his attorney, and has, yeah. has said that he will be fighting this in, through every means necessary, fact, including reverse litigation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is also this is a, a civil suit. This is not a criminal suit. And to, to our knowledge, at least right now, we're not aware of any criminal investigations uh, moving forward. Uh, it does, to me, kind of underline the, 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 the major flaws in the way that the NFL has structured its it's player punishment set up, right? In that, you know, the NFL is going to presumably start its own, you know, parallel investigation to whatever law enforcement is doing. Uh, it does seem kind of silly to me that Roger Goodell is responsible for, for, for leading this thing. I mean, the as we go through the next round of collective bargaining between the players and the owners, one of the biggest things on the list to address is player conduct policy, right? Because right now, Roger Goodell is the sole, the judge, jury, judge, jury the, the executioner. Arbitrator, um, yeah. And, and, and instances like this uh, where if, if the NFL sus- suspends him without knowing anything more than we know right now, uh, it's going to anger a lot of people and it's going to make a lot of people happy. Uh, just to me, underscores uh, the reason why you don't have Roger Goodell in this position. There, there are different levels of punishment depending on where it stands. Just the accusation can get you on the commissioner list, yeah. which means you're paid. If he's charged, then he, under the personal conduct policy, he can be put on administrative leave. That means he can't play, but he can go to meetings. So the, there's this sliding scale based on where we are in the process. Mm-hmm. But you know, one thing we do know, that in, in the collective bargaining, the players want discipline away from Roger Goodell. Which it should, which it should be. Yeah, there, there should be an independent body of some sort. And, and you may know better than me what, what happens in the NBA, for example, uh, when, when things like this occur. There are a couple of facts I want to bring up about this, too. Uh, Antonio Brown says that he knew this trainer way back when he used to go to to college at uh, Central Michigan University. Uh, that's how they met when they were in college. Uh, this is a federal lawsuit, and like you said, no, no charges yet have come about. Uh, and uh, so we come back to Roger Goodell. Uh, can an accusation without any charges yes, the answer bring is yes. it to the end of the career? It can, yeah, sure. Um and 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 Roger has been criticized in in the past a number of times for both for not acting fast enough and in other instances for acting uh, too quickly. Uh, and that you know he's going to be in that position right now, uh, no matter what. And, and to me, again, it just kind of underscores why there needs to be some overhaul of the way this process works in the NFL. This came all out of the Adrian Peterson case when mm. he was put on the exemplist. By the way, on this September 11th, uh, never forget. And uh, we want to uh, express our condolences 18 years later uh, after the 9-11 attacks. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soschnick and Evan Dobie williams We are here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with George Steinbrenner IV, the youngest owner in IndyCar right now, and a name that a lot of our, uh, our listeners will know. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcasts.